We're in the middle of a chapter here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 where uh, Paul is writing to Timothy and looking to uh, encourage his faith because difficulties and hardships can shake our faith. And it appears that Timothy is having difficulties and we know that Paul is also having difficulties as he sits in a prison and he is uh, pinning the final words that we have recorded for us And in the midst of that, you have the Apostle Paul declaring that Timothy should not be ashamed. We talked a bit in those first eight verses about him putting that forward because of the faith and the legacy of faith that Timothy has and his need to go ahead and share in the sufferings of Christ, just as you see uh, Paul is having to do. And from verse 8 to verse 18, uh, you have now Paul giving the reasons why Timothy should not be ashamed and expressing to him how Timothy can stand faithfully and unashamed in the work. And so it's really a beautiful chapter in talking about how to endure as a servant of God. And Paul continues to push forward this picture given to us about not being ashamed. You'll notice in in verse 8, he says there in 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, Do not be ashamed then of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Very first picture that you have for the Apostle Paul as he writes to Timothy and says, Here's why you shouldn't be ashamed. And he goes right to the heart of the gospel and says, you can't be ashamed when you focus on what God has done for you. And you remember all that has been accomplished for us. In fact, as he reminds them, reminds him in verse nine and saying he saved us and called us with a holy calling that had nothing to do with who we were, nothing to do with our works, nothing with our ability to be pleasing to God. We had nothing to offer God in this great pursuit. And so you have instead God saying, I did that out of my own purpose, out of my own grace, out of my own desire for you, which is underscored at the end of verse 9 when it says, that this was done in Christ Jesus before time began. And to me, that's just like, okay, I can go home on that one. That's just amazing that before time exists, before God puts the universes into place, thus necessitating a thing called time, God had already determined in his purpose to save people. And to give them a holy calling to be his. This is an amazing idea. And that's the first picture that you have is Paul just reminding Timothy of the beauty of the gospel. And remembering 
Here is what God has done, and he did it out of his own purpose, his own desire, not because we were righteous, not because we were awesome, not because we were deserving, but because God just wanted to have a people who belonged to him. And he underscores that even further in verse 10 by saying, and the proof of it, how this has been made evident and has been revealed to us, is that the, through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, it becomes all the more clear that this is the purpose of God and God is carrying out his purpose because he did send his son and we see the appearing of Christ. And notice what's tied to that when he says he abolished death and instead brings life and immortality to light. It's like you first all you were doing was staring at darkness and death And the appearing of Jesus now means what has been brought to light is not death anymore, but life and immortality. That is what you focus on. That is what you are able to see because of the appearing of Jesus. And so a straightforward message of the gospel in a very simple sentence with the implication, how could you be ashamed? What's to be ashamed of in that? What is to be ashamed of when we notice God's purpose for us? How could we be ashamed of what he's done? How could we be ashamed of him being our rescuer? How could we be ashamed of our hope? How could we be ashamed that we have been brought from death into life and immortality? And so you have that underscoring this and saying, don't be ashamed, Timothy. Join in the suffering because look at what we have. Look at this holy calling that we enjoy. Look at what we are able to enjoy in Christ in this grace and look at how this has been brought forward to us through the life of Christ. And notice then that's what how he goes in verse 11 for this gospel was appointed. I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed for I know the one in whom I have put my trust and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I, what I have entrusted to him. I think this is an interesting picture that he puts forward now as another reason to not be ashamed. He says, here's why I'm not ashamed. And now think about where he is. Because everything about his circumstances looks shameful. He's in prison. He's in prison for the gospel. He, he, he looks like a criminal because he's in a jail. And yet he says, even though I bear these circumstances and I've been called as an herald and an apostle, as a teacher, and I sit here in these chains, I'm still not ashamed because I am completely convinced that those things are going to be given to me on that day. I know that there's going to be life and immortality. And he underscores that because he knows in whom he believes. He knows whom he has his faith in. He knows who he trusts. And because he believes in Christ, he has every reason to believe life and immortality is coming to him. And so there's no reason for him to be ashamed. Now, I was trying in my mind to get an idea of that picture of what is being presented to us. This is a, a, maybe a strange illustration, but I think it kind of communicates the idea that Paul is getting across. You might have this happen to you. You know, that when various holidays roll around, sometimes on those holidays and given days, the trash collector doesn't come. And you come onto one of those holidays and you think, 
I think it comes and you roll your trash can out to the end of the curb like I do on some given evening. And I look all around my neighborhood and there's not a soul that has a can down. And now I question myself and I go, okay, am I the only dummy that is thinking that the trash man is going to come and I'm going to sit here embarrassed while everybody drives by and look at that dummy who's got his trash can out. Don't you know it's Arbor Day and we don't have trash that day or whatever it is. So what do I do? I go on a website and I look and I go, all right, let me double check. It says they're supposed to come. And since it says it's supposed to come, I'll go ahead and leave my can out there and I will not bend to the pressure that I'm feeling that I am the only person with this ugly blue can out there and I leave it out there and I believe that the next morning I'm going to be vindicated and they're going to take my trash. That's kind of the idea of what's going on here. Is Paul is saying all the circumstances look bad and everybody is casting shame on me. And saying, how could you be doing what you're doing? You're in a prison. How could you believe in this guy? And he says, I believe that I have life and immortality coming to me because I know who I believe. And because of that, you can cast all your shame and your dispersions. And you can think I'm nuts and I'm crazy and that I'm all all washed up. But I'm going to do this because I am going to be vindicated on that day. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. This is why I'm not ashamed. I know who I believe and I know what's coming to me because of that belief. And I know that there will be vindication that comes from that. That is the hope that Paul is expressing here to, to Timothy. And that's what he says there in verse 12. And this is the reason as I suffer as I do. I'm enduring all of this, but I'm not going to be ashamed because of my confidence in Jesus, in what he will do, and his confidence will not be in what people say about him or the circumstances that he's facing. He's not going to be afraid of public opinion because he knows in whom he believes. That is an important foundation. When you read about the life of the Apostle Paul and all that he goes through and how he is able to stand firm, be confident, and be strong, and continue to do the work, even though he is at many times in weakness, fear, and trembling, it's because he knows whom he believes. His confidence is that he said that this outcome will happen. And even though nobody else believes it or may be on board, I'm putting my trust in that. And that's what he tells Timothy to do here in this very picture. And thus in verses 13 and 14, he tells him to hold on to what he has. Verse 13, hold on to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Two beautiful pictures. First, Since we know whom we believe, then hold on to what he said. You know what he said. Your confidence are in those words because of who you believe in. And so you hold on to that sound teaching in faith and in love. And not only that, then the very next line really just kind of amplifies that same idea. Guard that sound teaching. Guard the treasure. I love that he calls it a deposit or a treasure here. You have a treasure that has been given to you. You have the teachings, the word of God. That is your treasure. It has been given to you. Hold on to it. 
And do not let it go. Do not waver from it, but hold fast to it. Hold fast to that teaching. And then he says that you will hold fast to that through the Holy Spirit who is been given to us. I always love these pictures that are given to us in scriptures of this working together with God imagery that he doesn't say you just need to hold on to your faith all by yourself and God's not helping you in the slightest and you just got to figure it out and hold on to your faith. But nor does he say the opposite. You just sit there and do nothing and God's holding on for you and he's got you until the end. There's always this imagery that the scriptures give to us that you would devote yourselves to the Lord. And by doing so, God will help you and support you and carry you through. There's always that beautiful imagery of that. I love it how Paul says, I think the same idea in Philippians 2 and verse 12 Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's our end. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his purpose. Here's God working with you. I love that Paul will talk like that, that we would note that we're not by ourselves as we hold on to the faith. And we're not by ourselves as we value the treasure and hold on to the teaching. And as we stand fast and are not ashamed that God is saying, I am at work and I am helping you and I'm not forsaking you or leaving you. And so hold on and do not give up, which leads to an example. Notice what he says in verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. I am astounded by that line. Paul says to Timothy, you understand that everybody in Asia has deserted me. It's almost a reminder like, you know what I've gone through here. Nobody is standing here side by side with me. All who are in Asia, that is a big statement. All who are in Asia have deserted me. And he names two people in particular, presumably because Timothy knows them well or because they are well-known Christians at that time. Whatever the reasoning, these two are named. He says, even these two who had been with me, they have also deserted me. When things became difficult, I want you to know that everybody has left me. And I think this is a sad but important truth for us to observe is that your faithfulness to God doesn't mean that people will be faithful to you. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed of his imprisonment. He's not ashamed of his chains. And yet other people are. Other people have left him. Other people are not going to support him in this. Other people are not willing to help. They're stepping back. They're stepping away from Paul because of his imprisonment. Because preaching the gospel has caused him to be in this condition. They're all backing away. Remember, we talked a little bit about that last week where Paul said to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me. And you're seeing why he underscores that to Timothy now. Because here we're shown in verse 15 
that many had become ashamed of him. Many had been willing to walk away from him and no longer support him. But friends, that cannot allow us to have our faith be shaken. It cannot dissuade us from being strong. The fact that it is going to hurt when those who we think would support us in the faith as we try to stand strong for God and do what is right and love the Lord and serve the Lord and worship the Lord, that not everybody's going to be on board with that. And it happened to Paul. You know, you read that and you think it'd be hard to be ashamed of Paul, you would think. You would think it'd be hard to see Paul in prison and go, well, I'm not getting near that. But that's exactly what happened. Is that all in Asia would not come around him. These two named people in particular would not as well. And to understand that as we try to do what's right in a culture that pushes and turns against God, rather than there being everyone rallying around us that we would hope would rally around us, that there will be those who are proclaimers of Christ who will be ashamed of that. And they will be ashamed of the consequences and they'll be ashamed of the outcomes for what it means to stand for Christ and to stand firm in the faith and to continue to love God, serve God, and worship God. That's what Paul's doing. And he says to Timothy, you understand that that's what's happened to me. You understand that's what's going on. And beautifully, he's able to turn on that in verse 16 and say, but there is one person who hasn't done that. There's one person that hasn't. Verse 16 May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. When he arrived in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well how much service he rendered in Ephesus. While pointing out the many who were ashamed and failed to hold on, mercy to those who did hold on to the faith. You have to love the wording that's given to you there in verse 16. When it says there that he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. In fact, the picture is so amazing in verse 17. When Onesiphorus gets there in Rome, the first thing he's doing is he's trying to find Paul. Now understand, that's not like, you know, getting a GPS or a map out. You've got to ask people in Rome, ask people who are in charge of prisons, where is the Apostle Paul? I want to help him and serve him. And he's not ashamed of that. Nobody else wants to do that. Nobody else wants to go around Rome and trying to find him. They're all walking away from him. When you get to the end of the book, it's heartbreaking to read the people who he says who have left him and walked away. But here he notes, here is somebody who went out of his way to find me. He came to Rome, he's refreshed me, he found me, he searched diligently for me, and then has been able to refresh me in, in that effort. And I love how he gives this picture in verse 17, or verse 18. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord 
on that day. Huge spiritual truth here. Mercy is given to those who are not ashamed. He says there's a lot who are afraid. A lot that wouldn't help. A lot have deserted me. But mercy be given to Onesiphorus. Because he was not ashamed of my chains. And so may he find mercy on that day. You know the scriptures repeatedly speak to us that way. Sometimes we don't. At least I don't know that I've always caught that in a lot of the things that are said about the need for us to have a faith to stand, even in the face of severe negative public pressure. How about this? Revelation 21 and verse 6. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's easy to read right over there and go, look at all those bad people and who's going to be there. But did you notice the first one on the list? Right there with everybody else. I don't think anybody would have a problem with the faithless and the detestable and the murderers and the sexually immoral and the sorcerers and the idolaters and the liars. Yeah. First one. Because to those who conquer... Those who are not ashamed, they will inherit. Cowards, they will not. Jesus said it this way himself. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me, will save it for what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself for whoever is ashamed of me and my words the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in glory in that of the father and the holy angels it's interesting that paragraph If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. And notice where that all ends up. What's one of the ways that we try to save our lives? Being ashamed of Jesus and the message. I'm going to protect myself, preserve myself, watch out for myself by being ashamed of that. I mentioned as an illustration of that last week, Peter. Why is Peter ashamed? Because he's protecting his life. Because it's dangerous at that moment. We often underappreciate the amount of danger of where Peter is at that moment in the courtyard where Jesus is standing on trial. And people are coming to him and saying, your, your accent gives you away. You're clearly from Galilee. No, I'm not. Why there? Because he's in danger. And that's what Paul is expressing here. Paul is saying, 
Here I am in chains, and they are ashamed of me, and they're afraid. And remember earlier he said that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but instead he says there in verse 7, a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and of self-discipline. The picture is this. We will not be ashamed if we really appreciate our salvation, if we really appreciate what has been accomplished for us in Christ, if we appreciate this holy calling, he saved us by his purpose and by his grace, not because of us, not because of our righteousness, but he saved us because that's how much he wanted to be with us. And thus through this holy calling or receiving life and immortality, he's not going to be ashamed of us is what he tells us. And we will not be ashamed of him because we know in whom we believe. And we are convinced that he will do just as he promised. There's something beautiful about the idea of vindication. One of the things that we've seen in our study of the Psalms is the authors are having this hope of future vindication. I'm going to be shown right for doing righteousness. I'm going to be vindicated for putting my faith in God. Even though these circumstances are happening, I know that there will be a time when the tables are turned and vindication comes. And the same idea is being pictured here. When you know who you believe in, then you know that there is that vindication and it will be worth the shame. It'll be worth the rejection. It'll be worth whatever happens to us. And so hold on to the treasure that you have. Hold on to that, that God is with you and that mercy is going to be given to those who will not be ashamed of him. And I think one of the hardest things that we will face in that is just as Paul and Timothy are experiencing as he expresses in this text is that when not everybody who claims to follow Christ does that, there's going to be a temptation to weaken and be ashamed too. It's going to be hard when some people make their stand and some people say, we don't have to make that stand. We don't have to make that decision. Protect yourself. And I think it is amazing that the Apostle Paul tells us, don't be ashamed. Hold on to the treasure and don't give up, even though everybody around him, even though all those who are in Asia had turned away from him. And so finally, our encouragement to not be ashamed is to know the warning that Jesus gives. We often talk about wanting to hear the words when we get to that day. Well done, good, faithful servant. Can you imagine if Jesus said, you were ashamed of me. So now, as I promised, I am ashamed of you. May we have the boldness to never be ashamed 
in the face of public opinion, culture, pressure, or even what other Christians do as we try to serve, love, and worship God. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, the temptation to shame is so great. And Lord, we can feel it in so many circumstances. We, we can feel we can feel that in our communities and in our neighborhoods. We can feel that on the job. We can feel that even among us here. We can feel the challenge of striving for righteousness in a world that condemns it. Lord, we can feel the humiliation sometimes for proclaiming a love for Christ that causes us to do what we do. We can feel ashamed for serving you the way we know we should. So God, I pray not only for boldness in those moments that you would give us boldness and courage to shine as a light and to open our mouths. But forgive us for how many opportunities we've let slip away because we've been afraid because we've been ashamed. Forgive us for our failure. God, I pray that you would make us strong for the next opportunity so that we will be faithful no matter the circumstance. No matter what the majority may say and no matter how hard it is. Lord, help us to see that What you have promised for vindication is worth the shame for the moment. Lord, help us to not care about the glory of people or fitting in with our culture. But help us instead to care about your commending so that you would call us good and faithful servants. Thank you for your holy calling. And thank you for your purpose to save us before we existed, before the worlds were in place, before time began. Thank you for your deep love. And it's through your son we pray this prayer. And amen. Amen. Strong words that Paul gives to Timothy, but encouraging words of where we stand with God. I encourage you to think about where you are in terms of your faith and your readiness to stand for Jesus and for the gospel. Can we help you in any way in helping you seek the Lord and to follow him with all of your heart? We'll sing invitation song. If you need our help, just let us know. Won't you come forward while we stand and while we sing?